Hello, and welcome to the River Audio Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We believe God has something unique to say to you, and our hope is that you feel His love stronger today than ever before. Enjoy the message. So I don't want to say, I, I don't want to say uh, I don't want to use the word heavy about the message this morning, but I'll use a, a word that I guess could be similar, and that is weighty, weighty. And you know, we need we need all of the Word of God, and we need different things at different times in our lives. But what we always need is God's purpose, whatever it is that. Some messages that we hear, I call them dessert messages. I think I stole that from Joyce Meyer. She was talking about dessert messages. We love dessert messages where it's just encouragement for us and, and all this. And, and there's a, a time and a place for those. But we need messages that are meat, and we need messages that are, that are sobering. And so we're going to go to Bible school today, uh, chapter 4. And I'm simply calling this message today, One God, One God. Uh, I don't know if I can really even call this a sermon. It's funny because if you will spend time in the Word of God, if you'll spend time with God, when it comes time to bring a message to others, it's not so much a matter of trying to find something to say. It's a matter of deciding which thing you're going to say because you've only got a little while to say it. If you will spend time with the Lord and time in his word, you will become so full. And I'm not just talking about preachers. I'm talking about all believers. You will become so full, you're overflowing constantly with revelation of who God is. This should be true of every believer. It should be that we are spending so much time in his word, fellowshipping with God. And when we do that, our heart is full. And you know this about God, and that when we're at work, it shouldn't be that, that we have to convince you to witness it should be that we got to get you to shut up because the time clock says now's the time to work. And you say, oh, I can't wait till lunch. I got to tell these people what I just learned about the Lord. It shouldn't be that the believer has to be pushed. It should be that you have to be restrained. The psalmist said, do not be like the horse or the mule. You know the difference between a horse and a mule? A mule, you have to push it. You have to beat the mule. You have to convince the mule to work and to move. But the horse wants to take off, and you have to slow the horse down. And so the psalmist says to you, the believer, to me, the believer, don't be like the horse or the mule. Don't let it be that God's got to push you all the time, or they has to you back. but be somewhere, just flow with him, move with him. So uh, I'm really just, I've, I've taken some notes down. I guess you could call it a sermon. I don't know. I'm really speaking to you this morning out of my personal time with the Lord and speaking to you from my heart. And boy, God just shows us all kinds of things that we're wrong about, doesn't he? I always tell people, if you wanted, people ask me a question and I'll say, if you wanted the answer to that question, you should have asked me 20 years ago when I started pastoring, then I knew everything. But the more I know the less I know. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, Abraham is called our father in the faith. What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham were justified by works, then he has whereof to glory. Abraham, for what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it, 
his belief in God, was counted unto him for righteousness. What's righteousness? Right standing with God. That word doesn't deal with something we do. It deals with a position we have. Righteousness is to be in right standing with God. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace. Uh, you know what? Let's, let's go ahead and pray or else I'm going to read this whole thing and then we're going to break it down. Let's just pray and we'll break it down as we go. You ready to break it down? All right. Father, thank you for today again. I need your help completely. Help me to pour the heart of the Father into the heart of your people, me included. I need this. Help me, Holy Spirit. I yield to you the best ears, our hearts. I'll do what I can't do. And uh, open our eyes, our ears, our hearts. Illuminate us that we would receive this with all seriousness, Father, and that we would do something with it. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. What shall we say? Let's go back to the beginning. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh has found? Now the context of this is how we gain right standing with God. We are all fallen humanity, born into sin because of the sin of Adam. God told Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve were clothed with God's righteousness. They were created in God's image. They were walking with God in the garden in the cool of the day. They only knew goodness. They only knew right standing with God. And God said, you can eat of all these trees, but don't eat of that tree. The tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, because the day you eat of that, you'll begin to die. Now, that tree was the knowledge of good and evil. We call the knowledge of good and evil the law. The law, to know right from wrong. So Adam and Eve, they're living in God's grace. They're living in his fellowship. And God says, you have everything you need in me. Don't go eat of the law. Don't try to live by balancing good and evil. That's what humanity does. You know, on the day of judgment, I'll hope that my good works outweigh my bad works. I know that I've failed many times, but I'm trying to make amends. I'm trying to do enough good to make up for the bad. That's eating of the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We're supposed to eat of the tree of life which is now the cross. God, I wish I had about five hours. So we're supposed to be eating of the tree of life, which is a position of rest, just trusting in what God has provided. But we live trying to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve did this in a very literal sense. And so Adam and Eve already had this. They eat of the knowledge of good and evil, and they already had the knowledge of good. Come on, the trick was on them. They eat of this. Now the knowledge of evil comes in, the consciousness of sin, the, now the awareness of sin, and with it the presence of sin. And boom, they're in a fallen state. The light goes out. They were a three-part being, spirit, soul, and body. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You're in a body. And so the day that they partook of this and sin came in, the spirit died. And so now they are a soul... Uh, um, your mind, your will, and your emotions wrapped in flesh, a body. So now they have a physical body, a container to live in while they're on the earth. They're thinking, they're breathing, they can taste, they can have desires, they can think, but spiritually they are dead. The light went out. They are no longer in fellowship with God. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? And so that is the state of sin. And the Bible says that by one man, Adam, by one man's transgression, sin came to all. But we know that by the last Adam, Jesus Christ, he was, uh, you know, uh, the first Adam was in a, a type of the Christ that would come. <sighs> Lord, help me. Adam and Eve had right standing with God. They partook of a tree that offered them life, but gave them death, and sin came to all. Jesus Christ went to a garden the night before he died 
to deal with sin and chose to partake of a tree that offered death but brought life and gave righteousness to all. So Adam is the type, the shadow. He's the picture. Old Testament concealed, New Testament revealed. Everything that happened in the Old Testament in the literal is a picture of what we go through in the well, it is literal, but in the spirit. They went through in the physical, in the natural, and we have all these pictures. I hope I'm saying this plain and not going too fast. So this is what happened with Adam and Eve. This is how sin came, and sin came on many. So man wants to work for his right standing with God. Man wants to behave well enough for a right standing with God. Man wants to produce something. Man wants to do it in the flesh. And then the flesh would get the credit. But the flesh can't do it. So our father Abraham, the father of our faith, what shall we say then that Abraham our father, as according to works of the flesh, has found? What did Abraham discover? What did our father of the faith discover that he could produce with his flesh in regard to right standing with God? For if Abraham were justified, that means made right with God. If Abraham were justified by his works, by the flesh, then he has a reason to glory. He has a reason to boast, but he doesn't have that before God. You know, Paul said in Ephesians 2 that salvation is a free gift, the gift of God, of grace and not of works, lest any man should boast. It's the counter to this. It's the parallel of this, the contrast. For what says the Scripture about righteousness by works versus righteousness by faith and grace? Here's what it says. Abraham believed God. Anything he could do didn't make him right with God. But Abraham believed God and that was counted unto him. Abraham placed faith in the one true God, and God says, you're righteous. You're righteous. Not because of anything you've done. You're righteous. Now to him that works for it, the reward is not reckoned of grace. You can't work for this. You work from it, but you don't work for it. I work for Jesus because I'm saved. I don't work for Jesus to be saved. He saved me for free, and now I work for him for the whole rest of my life. I give my whole life to him. I go and tell people what he did for me. I got saved when I was six years old, and I haven't been able to shut up since I can't get past it. I'm head over heels in love with Jesus. I'm more in love with him today than the day that I got saved when I was six years old because now I've come to appreciate it. Now I've been through some life. Now I've seen some things. And the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. Amen? To him that works, the reward would not be reckoned of grace. It would be debt. It would be debt. It would be that God owes me. I work for God, so he owes me right standing. God doesn't owe you anything except death. I'll tell you what God owes us, punishment. What God owes us is wrath. What God owes us is eternal separation from him. That's what, that's what we deserve, but in Jesus, that's not what we get. But, yeah, praise the Lord. But to him that worketh not, the one that does not say, God, I'm good, so you should make me right with you. God, I'm honest. I don't run around. I don't cheat on my wife. I don't cheat on my taxes. I never killed anybody. God, you should let me into heaven because I'm better than my neighbor. That's man's standard of righteousness. It's never that we actually think we've got it all together. We just start talking about who we, who we are better than. Well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Well, guess what? He's not getting in either. And neither is the guy that's saying that he's not as bad as you. To him that worketh not, but believeth on the justifier. 
that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David, King David, you remember David. David wanted Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. Uriah's out at war fighting for David. And he's sleeping with his wife while he's out fighting for him. And then she gets pregnant. And then he doesn't want Uriah to know. So he brings him in and says, hey, you can rest for a couple days with your wife. And he says, not while these men are at war. I'll sleep at your doorstep. And David's like, oh, what am I going to do? I know. I'll have him killed so he won't find this out. Sends Uriah out first in the heat of the battle. Uriah's dead. So now David, King David, is an adulterer and a liar and a murderer. And this is the guy that the Bible says is a man after God's own heart. Man, God can save you through a lot, can't he? There is there's no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. That's what Corey Ten Boom said. The love of God is great. He can reach way, 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 way down, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done. So that's the David we're talking about. He was quite thankful that God forgave him. He appreciated that God forgave him. He had a lot of reason, right? And some of us have a lot of reason. Even as David also describes the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputes righteousness without works. That word impute means he gives it to you for nothing that you did. He just imputes it to you, kind of like impart. He just says, I have it, and I give it to you. I put it in you, and you didn't do anything. I just give it to you. It's paid for by someone else. Saying, blessed are they. You know what blessed means? Happy and to be envied. That's amazing. Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Isn't that great? The Bible says that there is a people that even when they sin, God refuses to count it against them. I am in Christ so even when I sin, God refuses to count sin against me because I have not found my identity in my works. If I find my identity in my works, then my works count for me or against me, and I can never get enough to count for me enough to be approved. But if I reject the works system and I choose God's system instead, righteousness by Christ, now I'm not judged according to whether or not I sin. I'm judged according to whether or not Jesus sins. I'm saved until Jesus sins. Because I put my faith for salvation in him instead of in me. I am safe. I am sealed until Jesus messes up. You do know that the old covenant was between God and man. The old agreement. The new covenant is not between God and man. The new covenant is between God the Father and God the Son. You are neither party of the new covenant of salvation, the finished work of Christ on the cross, the message of the cross, the message of grace, which the understanding of which was given to the apostle Paul. I am not either end of the bargain on, on salvation anymore. He said, that, that he said that the old covenant, he found fault with it, so he ratified a new covenant in the blood of his own son, in the blood of Jesus. And so the covenant of salvation is a deal that has been cut between God the Father and God the Son. God the Father says, I'll keep playing the part of God. God the Son said, okay, I'll play the part of the human We'll get it right. I'll get this right. So I will go and become one of them. I will get it right. I'll die on the cross in their place. I will rise again. And now salvation is secure and perfected. All they have to do is say, I want it.
if, if, if my works count me out, we don't have something better than the old covenant. If my failure counts me out, we just have the old covenant and using Jesus as the sheep. But this is a total replacement. This is the law fulfilled. This is amazing. It's amazing. When I get saved, I'm not just getting forgiven for acts. I'm getting replaced. God doesn't save sinners. He kills them. When you get saved, he kills the sinner. And he puts a brand new you inside. The apostle Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, but yet I live. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. He says, it's Christ in me. There is nothing left inside of me to reject God. It's not like he took my free will away. It's just that he took my ability away. There's nothing left inside of me to reject God. I am eternally, perpetually changed and saved. The New Testament says three times that the Holy Spirit has sealed me all the way to the day of redemption. My eternal life doesn't start when I die. My eternal life started when I got saved. I am already in eternal life. I was right then placed in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The moment I got saved, I was seated in Christ, who was seated on the right hand of the Father and in the Father himself. Jesus said in John, he said, I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me, and now I'm in you, and you're in me, just like I'm in the Father, and we are one. <laughs> Don't know how long I can sit on this stool. He says, we, we are saved, eternally kept. Saved, I got inside of the eternal Christ. Eternally saved, eternally kept, eternally sealed. And David says, blessed is the one who God refuses to account their sin to them anymore. The writer of Hebrews said it like this in chapter 10 and 11. He said, uh, uh, once you believe on Jesus, he said, God will remember sin on your account no more. That's amazing. That's amazing. So now we understand a little bit about this with Abraham, okay? So that third verse, Romans 4, 3, what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, I've given you all that good news. That's the word gospel, by the way. I've given you all that good news, but I'm afraid that many times in the church, especially in America, that we have taken these words and made them a very light thing. We have made... Faith, something that it's not. We have downplayed this to simply a mental, logical decision in somebody that's willing to repeat a prayer after me. If you're being raised, always hearing, there's a God, the Bible's true, Jesus is his son, you know, God is good, beer is great, people are crazy. Come on. This, this Christian nationalistic, westernized Christianity that we've created, I believe in Jesus. Here's my American flag, and they're both the same to me. Come on, somebody. Can we just, just cut the crap, Really? where we equivocate, thank God for God and country, but we cannot equivocate God and country. I love the United States, but I'm a citizen of heaven first and foremost. So I pledge allegiance to the flag, but I pledge allegiance to the lamb. Thank you, Ray Bolts. <laughs> Hallelujah. So listen, Abraham... It's an old song. You wouldn't know it. It helps if you were a Baptist teen. <laughs> or most any denomination of your choice, I suppose. So let, let's look at this. Abraham believed God. What did it mean? When we say, I believe in Jesus, 
most of us, we say, yeah, I prayed a prayer. I invited Jesus in my heart. You got Jesus in your heart? Jesus lives in your heart? You need Jesus in your heart? Jesus is in my heart. What did it mean that Abraham believed God? Well, you first have to know that Abraham was a pagan. The father of our faith was a pagan who worshipped lots of different gods. False gods, of course. Worshipped idols. He probably had a bag of them, probably, that he carried with him because some did. And I'm sure they had places where he went to bow down and worship idols. This is what he was surrounded with. This was the culture that he lived in. This was his society. This was the way of his people. To suggest that there was only one God and that it was none of theirs to reject their gods openly, publicly, to stand up and say, nope, I reject everything that we are. I reject the way of my people. I reject the way of my culture. I reject the way of my society. I reject my religion. I reject all of those beliefs. And instead, I say, this is one true God. This is the one that made heaven and earth. This is God, and this is God alone. Do you know what it is to stand up and openly reject and declare this instead in the face of persecution? In the face of oppression, in the face of your family, in the face of all of it, Abraham believed. Abraham didn't have a belief. Well, yeah, that's what grandma and grandpa said. That's what mom and dad said. Yeah, I grew up in this little country church. That's what they said. Yeah, I believe it too. Jesus come in. He had everything to lose from the heart, from his innermost being. He was not making a head decision. He was making a choice of faith from the heart to reject all else and say, I'm with this one, no matter what it means for me, no matter what it means. One true God. This is not about I repeat a prayer. This is not about got Jesus in my heart. This is about allegiance. This is about a whole being choice. A rejection of everything but God himself. That's what it means to believe. That's what the faith means. 1 Timothy 2 and 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So I've got a lot on my mind with the changes that are happening in my life and the doors that are opening for ministry. And I stand here on this platform in this cute building with these cute lights and this air conditioner or heater. And I preach to all of you cute people in your cute clothes with your full bellies, some bigger than others. Come on. We've got everything we need. And we don't face any persecution here. We don't face any persecution here for our Christianity. 
Nobody's stopping us. Nobody's ever tried to stop us. They said something not nice about me. They said they didn't like my God. So, you've never been persecuted. I've never been persecuted. Not really. Not really. So I come up here and I preach these messages. And I give this altar call. And people come and they pray and then, you know, some of them got saved, some of them didn't. Some people understood, some people didn't. Some were sent, others just went. And then, and then I say that in January, I'm going, maybe alone, I'm going to fly, not to Australia, where it's nice and there's a lot of Jesus, not to Mexico, where people just go back and forth over the border, either direction real easily like. I'm not going to London. I'm not even going to Uganda. No, I'm going to India. I'm going to India. I'm going to a place where it is illegal to proselytize. Proselytize means I tell you that your faith is wrong and you need to convert to mine. It's illegal. I'm going to a place where Hinduism is the supreme religion. And the Hindu people worship maybe hundreds of gods. And if you tell somebody in India, I'm coming to talk about my God, they'll say, leave your God at home. We have lots of them. We have plenty. You don't need to bring us another one. We don't need your God. You got, you got like what, one? I got a hundred gods. Which seems logical, you know? Think about it from their perspective. So I'm going to a place that says, don't bring that here. And it's illegal to proselytize. I'm really helping my mom and dad right now, laying this down. So in that country, Christians are persecuted and Muslims are persecuted. The Muslims are persecuted. The same as the Christians. Why? Because Muslims say there's only one God. And guess what? Even worse, Muslims say the one true God is the God of Abraham. Same thing I say. So they don't have any use for us or Muslims. So Pastor David, hello, Pastor David. We love you. We love you. By the way, our churches that we are in covenant with in India, they're watching right now. It's 10 o'clock here. They're watching, what time is it, Pastor David? 8.30-ish, something. So they, have a, they worship with us on Sunday evenings. So Pastor David tells me for the last three years, please come, please come, please come. He says, we believe God has spoken to us that he's going to bring national revival through you when you come. He said, it is so dark here. He said, in our young people, he said, they're blinded. He said, by Hinduism and uh, the Muslim faith. He said, we need your gospel of love that you preach. So, I'm going to India. And I'm thinking... What do I say to them? Because I know what I say here. What do I say to them? 
Well, all of the people there know about many, many gods. And they face persecution if they go against that. When I tell them what I tell you, it's going to be different. When I tell them there's one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, his son is Jesus Christ. Through him alone is right standing with God. Through him alone is salvation. And in order to receive him, you must believe in your heart against your gods. And you must say out loud that Jesus Christ alone is it. They have a few more things to think about than you do when they walk down that aisle. Do you understand? And now God is dealing... God's already given me the, first me, the, the message that I will preach in all of the districts there. The first message that I'll preach. We'll preach multiple times. But now I've got God dealing with my heart about water baptism. Because water baptism is a very serious public proclamation. When I frame it for you like that, now don't some things change about this? Invite Jesus in your heart. Changes, doesn't it? And now we say, oh my God, how cheap did we make it? We made this something else. You know, you'll never find a place in the Bible that says, invite Jesus in your heart. Where'd that come from? Well, I'll tell you where it came from. We have given a name to the innermost being. We call that the heart, the heart of man. Uh, in biblical times, they called that the bowels. You'd have to invite Jesus into your bowels. Lord Jesus, please come into my bowels. Lord, just slip right on through my digestive tract. Fill my colon with your Holy Spirit and all your goodness. Talk about a move. Some cultures say the liver. You got Jesus in your liver? Can't go to heaven unless you got Jesus in your liver. Instead of rivers of living water, they preach livers of riving water. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Corey. <laughs> so, how do I get to heaven? You invite Jesus in your heart. Repeat after me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You didn't tell him about the fall. You didn't. You can't, you can't get somebody saved until you get them lost. How can somebody get saved when they don't understand they're lost? When they pray that prayer, what are they even praying? They don't know. You're not helping them to place faith in the finished work of the Lamb slain and the crucified Christ, the resurrected Savior that came to pay the terrible, disgusting price for the depravity of men, for the wickedness of sin, for lost humanity. For You're not telling them about a faith that stands up and says, even if they kill me for this, I will declare that God is one and Jesus is his son and my allegiance is to the lamb slain. Now let me read it again. Abraham believed. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. 
We have a lot of thinking to do. We have a lot of meditating on the word that needs to happen. We've got a lot of soul searching. What is this that we have made? What is this Western salvation that we made up? For we just love this word grace. And now, I invited Jesus in my heart. Now I do whatever I want and don't talk about my sin, preacher. Don't make me uncomfortable, preacher. Don't you remember grace? Don't you remember faith? There's no grace without faith. Like love and marriage, you can't have one without the other. Come on. <laughs> Sorry. Faith and grace. I am saved by grace through faith. I have not tapped into grace if I have not had faith. I thought it was so funny because, you know, church is just church and people are people. And in the last few weeks, we've heard about different people in the, in the church, you know, that got different problems with me, issues with me. I don't like it that he said this. I don't like it. He made me uncomfortable. I can't believe he said that. Oh, he didn't show up when I was sick and on and on and on, you know. And that just comes with it. I'm not like down or anything. People do that all the time. I don't care. But I thought it was so funny because I knew that. Only a couple people knew that. And Gashumba last week, we were both going to preach because we both had stuff. <laughs> and he said, you take a little while, I'll take a little while. And we're like friends, friends. And so we were at my house, and I was like, you want to preach or you want to listen? He's like, oh, man, of God, I've always got something to preach, you know. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, oh, I don't know, you know. And so then Sunday morning, He's standing next to me. All of a sudden, he grabs his phone. And I thought, oh, no, I know what this means. The Holy Spirit's speaking to him. Like I knew, at the mo I, I, I recognized the thing, you know. And then he leans over to me in praise and worship. And he said, I think I'm going to take longer. <laughs> I said, you got it. You got it. And so the Holy Spirit's telling him stuff. I haven't told him anything and then he got up here, and he told me, he said, I'm picking up on stuff in the house. He said, I'm sensing things, and I'm hearing. I said, okay, whatever, do, do whatever you want. So he came up here, and then he started talking about people complaining about the preacher for picking on their sin, and about they don't, you don't show up when I'm sick. You remember last week when he said, and we don't even know you're sick. Are we supposed to just suppose you're sick somewhere? I could not believe. The Holy Ghost done told on you people. Suck it up, buttercup. Get in or get out. Whatever, whatever. Either change or give us your seat. We need it for somebody that wants to. Praise the Lord. Got Jesus in my heart. <laughs> belief. Real belief. Real faith. Real faith. The rejection of all other gods. To reject everything that's a god. Maybe one you call a God, maybe one you don't even call a God. You thought I was going to say it, didn't you? <laughs> maybe one that you don't even call a God. Humanity makes a God out of all sorts of things that are not God. This is age old. This is from the beginning. God told Adam and Eve what to trust in. They decided to trust their self. They just decided to trust the serpent. They decided to trust the fruit, that it would make them like God. He said, I already made you like God. I already made you like me. Yeah, we think we'll do this to be like you. That's what we do. We have this space inside of us that only God can fill, and we decide what to fill it with. I'll fill it with a lot of religion. I'll put my trust in all my religious works, and that will fill me. I'll fill it with a lot of booze. I'll fill it with illicit relationships. I'll fill it with 
It could be stuff you'd call bad. It can be stuff you'd call good. The point is, it's in place of God. It's age old. That is the problem. That's the problem of when we say the problem of sin. That means one thing. Our way instead of his. That is what sin is. Transgression of the law. It's choosing us instead of him. Of him. It's choosing man's own way. It is to trust self. It is to trust what we create. It is to depend on anything to fulfill that only God is supposed to fulfill. It is to depend on anything to make us right with God that only God can provide. So then we dumb this thing down and we make it something cheap in our churches and in this American Christianity, I don't know the best word. You know, let's think about water baptism for a minute. We're talking about water baptism. We make water baptism a sort of cute thing sometimes. Do you understand how big of a deal water baptism is? Do you understand that in the Bible when they were water baptized, they were going down in front of their communities to publicly reject their community? To reject everything taught by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and on and on and on. And to say, hey, everybody, I've decided I'm with this Jesus who was not real popular. It's very serious. It's a serious proclamation. But here in America, nobody cares because we're used to it. So you can do the thing. You can pray the prayer at the altar without it being a heart thing. You You can go down in the tank without it actually being a heart thing. And people think they got saved and they just repeated a prayer. Think, people think they got baptized and they really just got wet. Romans 10, 8 through 10. Salvation, righteousness. What saith it? The word is close to you, even in your mouth, and it's in your heart. That's the word of faith which we preach. And here it is. That if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus... That is that open public proclamation, no matter what the world says. And believe in your heart. That is the rejection of everything that we've made God. That God has raised Jesus from the dead. You'll be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. When we read this in the context of everything we've just shared... Do you understand that they were... Now, we are going to give altar calls. We are going to lead people in prayer. we got to let the Holy Spirit take care of the rest. But do you understand now how this verse was not an altar call in a repeated prayer? This was an allegiance choice. And to publicly say, God is God and nobody else is. Do we know what a big deal it is in the face of culture? Do we know what a big deal that's going to be in India? We have really dumbed this thing down when we say that salvation is getting Jesus. Got to get Jesus. Like you're playing tag. You know, he's running around. Oh, get Jesus. Did you get him? Got him. No. He's looking for you. We beg people to invite Jesus. Please, please, please invite Jesus in. Oh, please. If I can just convince you to invite Jesus in. Are you kidding me? If he happens by and convicts your heart, you are blessed and fortunate. And you better say yes to his invitation. This is not you asking him. This is him asking you. And did you know you can't get saved whenever you want? Because it's not a head decision. He said no one comes to the Father but that he is drawn. And that doesn't last always and forever. If you are in a service or in your car or anywhere and the Holy Spirit moves on your heart to be saved, Joker, you better respond fast. Because when that lifts, 
you don't decide. You can't say, I'll pray it next week. Because next week, the conviction might not be there. This is not a head decision. God is the author of salvation. God does the drawing. God does the convicting. God does the washing. God does the forgiving. God does the saving. God does the slaying. And God does the resurrecting. And if you sense he's speaking to your heart, you better pounce because it's your lucky day. We have dumbed it down. We have dumbed it down to telling people, just ask Jesus in your heart. That phrase, out of context, is very dangerous. Very dangerous. Where am I at here? I think I already covered some of what I'm... Let's go here. I'm not going to keep you much longer. If I were to ask you to write down a list of sins, different kinds of sins, that could be a pretty lengthy list. Right? Think for a moment. Okay? Lying. Let's just go through the, like the Ten Commandments maybe. Lying, stealing, uh, sex outside of marriage, coveting. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. Let me just go on down the list and think about it. Think about lots and lots of things that could be sins. All right? Check this out. The Lord just gave me this like three weeks ago. I can give you, Vince, you're going to love this. So will Micah. He ought to come back and watch this. I can give you the entire list of every sin that exists. In one word. Idolatry. 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 I'm going to say this, and it could rattle somebody's cage. I don't think it will yours because we've laid a foundation. But I have adopted this. There is only one sin. Idolatry. There is only one sin that exists. Idolatry. God is God alone. He's the only God that made everything. <laughs> He's the only God that existed by himself. And then he makes all of this, and he makes us, and he makes all of this for us. And then we don't believe him? Then we worship another God, or we worship self, or we worship time, or we worship a job, or we worship money, or we worship a relationship, or we worship a drug to make us feel better, or a substance to make us feel better, or sex to make us feel better outside of his context. Or I mean, you fill in the blank. Or stealing. You know, some people steal that don't even need to steal because they get a high out of stealing, the rush of it. There are people that worship, you know, a rush. So label any sin you want. That's just one package that idolatry comes in. Every sin is simply the sin of idolatry. There's only one sin in the world. Idolatry. Every sin that exists is the choosing of one's own way for fulfillment instead of the way God has provided. Every sin is the choosing of one's own way to be made right with God, regardless of what God has provided. To be able to understand all of this today in context, and then to say, I reject all of it. I absolutely, with my heart and mind and mouth, today I decide to forsake world and self. I reject all. And I openly choose Jesus against it all. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. 
Westernized Christianity, or as I like to call it, not Christianity. Westernized Christianity, this created religion, this man-made religion preferred by millions of churchgoers. It says something like this. We've even created our own gospel. We've even created our own version of being lost and saved. And this is, this is the story. When somebody comes in and they're curious about Christianity and salvation, this is what we give them in a nutshell. Well, humans are poorly behaved. That's called sin. And God wants us to behave well. That's called righteousness. So we ask Jesus in our heart, and then we're better, and we go to heaven. That's very cheap. That is a very cheap, degraded substitute against the very heart of our Creator. The issue here is not behavior modification. The issue here is not your poorly behaved, get better behaved, and do that with Jesus. The issue is God sitting on his throne and saying, this is what I want from the people I made. This is what I want from the people on the earth that I made, in the middle of the universe that I made, surrounded by the light that I made, filled with the water and the trees and the animals and the oxygen and the food that I made. This is what I want from them. I want them to recognize that I am it. I want them to reject the rest and say, there's one God and it's you. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Bible, the maker of heaven and earth, God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, God of the quick and the dead, God alone. You are God. The issue is not I'm poorly behaved, get better behaved. The issue is I've given my allegiance to everything that's not him and I decide with faith from my heart today, I give my my allegiance to God. What God is asking of you is not behavior modification, but to acknowledge, proclaim, and embrace him as God alone, placing your faith in the free gift that he has provided through his son, Jesus Christ, and his death on the cross and resurrection. But I'll tell you this. When we place real faith in that and give our allegiance to it, when we grab a hold of that, we won't have to focus on behavior modification. Because when you grab a hold of this, like Abraham grabbed a hold of it, like David ended up grabbing a hold of it, like Saul of Tarsus grabbed a hold of it, when you grab a hold of this, like Simon Peter grabbed a hold of it to the point that they told him at the end of his life, they said, we're going to crucify you if you don't reject Jesus. And he said, I won't reject Jesus. They said, fine, we're going to nail you to a cross like him. He said, fine, but turn it upside down. He said, I'm not worthy to die like him. And they did. When we grab a hold of this, like the apostle Andrew who they said, we are going to fillet you like a fish while you're alive. He said, I guess you better sharpen your knife. I mean, I don't know if he said that. But in the face of that, he would not reject Jesus, and they filleted him alive. John, they boiled him in oil. Do you know how hot oil has to be to get it to boil? They boiled him in oil, and then it didn't work, and he didn't feel it. What had these men seen in three years walking with Jesus? What had they witnessed at his hand and at his message? What had they witnessed after the body was laid in the tomb and then found empty 
that when faced with death, they said, no, we believe. When you get it like that, we won't have to talk about behavior modification. We won't have to tell you to quit lying and stealing and sleeping around and on and so forth. Because when you get it like that, everything in your life changes. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Everything in your life changes and begins to flow from that amazing life. The life of God himself. Salvation's free, but it ain't cheap. And really, salvation's not even free. It's just that it's already been paid for by someone else. Abraham believed God, and that was counted to him for righteousness. Thanks again for listening to the River Audio Podcast. We hope that these weekly sermons are an encouragement to your life. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week online at theriverworshipcenter.org and on Facebook and Instagram at The River.